I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family this morning. Whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. As Bill said, we would love uh, for those who would feel comfortable to come and join us in the field. I will admit the whole registering to come to church thing is uh, not optimal. It is a challenge, and it is temporary, uh, but it's sort of where we are in the midst of the pandemic. But we would love for you, uh, if you feel comfortable, to come join us, worship with us in the field. For those of you who are online, we know some of you will be there until there's a widely distributed vaccine, and we totally understand that. Others have been kind of holding back and letting other folks have the spots, which we appreciate, but Bill nailed it with the college students gone for two months. There are going to be plenty of spots even late in the week, so, so feel free to join us sometime soon. The other thing you can be praying about is on Tuesday, we anticipate closing on the land on South Main Street in Davidson. So if you would join us in praying that the closing is uneventful, the best kinds of closings are uneventful, uh, we would appreciate that. And uh, one step closer to that that part of where god is is calling us even more exciting than that is today we are celebrating life change in people's lives and one way we're going to do that is by receiving new ministry partners when you join lake forest church you're not called a member you're called a ministry partner member implies if you pay your dues you'll get certain rights and privileges whereas ministry partner affirms that God has given you a purpose or a ministry. God's given our church a purpose or a ministry, and we choose to partner the two to create something beautiful. When we started this here fine church in August of, what? when was it, Matt? August of 2011. Uh, he's mouthing something to me, but he has a mask on. That makes it complicated. August of 2011, we, uh, we prayed, God, bring us people who are hurting that they might experience your healing among us. So it's always good to have new ministry partners step up as part of how God answers that, that prayer. At the first service, one of our new ministry partners, Izzy, was able to share her God story. So uh, if you'd like to go hear that, you can go watch the 915 service when you get home uh, or when this service is over and hear Izzy's God story. She's a Davidson student, so she had to vacate the, uh, the premises to get home. So you can go and listen to that at 915. Uh, we would love that. If you are joining as a new ministry partner, being recognized as a new ministry partner, you've completed 101 and would like to be recognized, will you stand where you are? We also have, somebody's got to go first. Thank you. And we also have some folks who are participating virtually online. Uh, so online and their pictures may show up. Jim and Jen and Noah are jumping in online. Uh, here in the field, let's see, let's see what I can figure out here. Um, we have Foster and Abby right here. Yes. Uh, Randy. I think I got that name right. Um, Katie. We've got Bill and Debbie. And then in the way back is Rachel, correct? Perfect. Let's welcome them. Along with Jim and Jen and Noah who are online. So you can remain standing because I have five questions for you. As a ministry partner, you're making a public commitment to God and to our church family. 
This commitment comes answering yes to the following five questions. Are you ready? That's not one of the five questions. Number one. So much has changed this year, Chad, but that joke has not changed. Number one. Do you acknowledge your relationship with God was beyond repair until God, by His grace and mercy, repaired it and reached out to you? Do you? Do you believe the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the healer of lives? Do you depend upon Him alone to reconcile you to God? Do you? Do you promise to humbly rely on God, the Holy Spirit, to live as a follower of Christ whose life points people to God? Do you? Do you promise to serve Christ as part of this church, not just sitting and soaking, but serving others on Sunday morning and throughout the week? Do you? And did, do you submit yourself to the accountability and spiritual oversight of the church's leaders, promising to promote the unity, the purity, and the peace of the church? Do you? Wonderful. Let me pray for our new ministry partners. Lord, for those in this field and for those online, we thank you. We thank you that, that you have chosen in your infinite wisdom to intertwine our stories. Lord, we thank you for the gifts and the skills, the talents that each of these people bring so that we might better love this world. We also thank you for their shortcomings, their hang-ups, the things they don't get right, so that you might make us more loving people. Lord, I pray that through each of these folks, you will work to accomplish your good purpose. And Lord, in our church and in this world surrounding us, there are so many hurting people. Will you use each of these folks to make a difference in the lives of others? to serve others, to show love to others, and to do so in Jesus' name, in whose name we make this prayer. Amen. Amen. Again, let us welcome our new ministry partners. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. The other thing we're doing this morning uh, are baptisms. So, Ellie, Kate, and whoever you want to bring, and Dylan. Feel free to join me as I explain baptism. Baptism is what's called a sacrament. A sacrament is a sign and a seal of God's promises for his children. So there, a, a, a sign points to something. A seal guarantees something. So a sacrament is a promise, a symbol, and an assurance of God's promises for his children. There are two sacraments in the Christian faith. There is the sacrament, the recurring sacrament of the Lord's Supper or Communion or Eucharist, depending on your tradition you grew up in. And then there's the once-in-a-lifetime sacrament of baptism. Baptism points to faith. When a little child is brought, as Ellie Kate will be, to be baptized, her baptism points forward to her faith, that she's going to be raised in such a way that one day she will desire to invite Christ into the center of her life. And when she does that, she'll get to come back up here, maybe not in this field, but somewhere else, uh, maybe on that land we're about to buy, she will be invited to come up and uh, profess her faith in Christ, and we will confirm her, her baptism, anoint her with oil in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We actually did that with Izzy at the 915 service. 
For all others who come for baptism, like Dylan, they have put their faith in Christ and they come desiring to be baptized. Who shall we start with? Hmm. Schultz's. Let's go with Schultz's. Cooper, man. Good to see you, buddy. India is going to be so excited when I tell her I saw you. All right. Make sure we're. Are we good? We have all these folks at, at home that need to see it, too. So to Jack and Emily bringing little Ellie Kate for baptism, looking forward to raise her to love God, to love other people. Five questions for you and then a question for the congregation. Do you acknowledge her need for Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Do you? Do you claim God's promises and benefits for Ellie Kate? Do you trust Jesus to reconcile her to God just as he reconciled each of you to God? Do you? Do you dedicate her to God without reservation, promising to rely on God's power and grace to live as an, as an example before her? Do you? Do you commit to pray with and for Elicate to teach her the scriptures that she might grow to love God? Do you? Do you promise to use every means provided by God, including faithful participation in the life of this here fine church? To, that's the official vow. I took it out of the book. To bring up your child in the love and discipline of the Lord. Do you? Wonderful. To you, the ministry partners of the congregation, do you promise to partner with these parents in the spiritual and character development of their daughter? Do you? Excellent. You got a lot of help. Is she going to need it is the question. Yeah. Are you a good big brother, Cooper? Oh, I have no doubt. She wakes you up a lot of the time. No, I totally understand that. Ellie Kate, you want to come here for a minute? Smile to the congregation. What is Ellie Kate's full name? Elizabeth Kate Schultz. Yeah. Child of God's promise. Loved by God. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You want to pray? Dear Lord, thank you for Ellie Kate. Thank you for this family and this church family that loves her dearly. We pray that over the years, she will grow to love you and the people you've put in her life more deeply. Lord, cultivate in her a deep faith deep hope, deep love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cooper, you can pitch in too, buddy. Good to see you. All right, Dylan. Now it's you. Come on this way. Perfect. So I have one question for you. And then one question for them. Ready? I think I know how you're going to answer, but let's see how it goes. Dylan, do you profess Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord? Do you desire to live as a new creation, to show the Holy Spirit's fruit, to be marked by generosity, to live a life that points people to God? Do you? Yes. Wonderful. Do you, the ministry partners of Lake Forest, take responsibility for the continued Christian growth of Dylan? 
promising to set a godly example in your own life and to pray for his life of faith. Do you? Excellent. So you have not been baptized. You desire to be baptized, but not this kind. Okay, take your shoes off then. The ice cubes have melted. You'll be glad to know. All right. <laughs> Toes there. You be good. There you go. I should have asked you your name before you got in the tub, shouldn't I? You want to take your mask off? There you go. What is your full name? Dylan Barrett Worsley. Dylan Barrett You are a child of God's promise. You are loved by God. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son, hold your nose, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I got to pray for you, Dylan. Lord, thank you for Dylan. Thank you for the faith you're cultivating in him. May he know in all the good and bad days of life that you, he belongs to you and nothing can snatch him from your hands. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we hardly even need a sermon now. But I still wrote one. Well, have you ever done that thought exercise where you think about, if my house catches on fire, what will I make sure to save? If your dorm room or your apartment or your house catches on fire, what do you risk it all to pull from the flames? For me, I think, well, certainly I would go my family, uh, Mandy and Indy and Cora. If I had a little extra time, would probably go for the Taco Bell gift cards. You know, actually, those are replaceable. I could probably leave those alone. You might think of things that you've put a lot of effort, a lot of energy into, and you could not imagine starting back from scratch. I have a folder in which I keep all the encouraging cards and notes I've gotten from my years in ministry. I'd probably grab that folder because the insurance company would give me about a dollar for that folder. But it is invaluable to me. What you realize as you do that exercise is it's not just a question of what you would try to pull from the flames. It's actually a question about what matters to you in life. What in your life is truly irreplaceable? What in your life is truly invaluable over and above what the world would say its monetary value is? In other words, when we think about what we would risk dying for, we realize what it is that we want to live for. When we think about what we'd be willing to die for, we realize what it is we want to live for. That's how we realize what is truly irreplaceable. That's how we realize what is truly invaluable who or what matters most to us in life as we think about if i had to would i be willing to risk my life for it or for them this gets us to the conclusion of our series we've been doing a series on first peter 2 9 which says but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation god's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light 
Throughout this entire series, we've asked everyone in the church family, whether you're online or in the field, to try and memorize that verse of the Bible. You're going to have a chance to show off here in a minute. But our series is about identity, that so many voices tell us who we are. And into all of those voices walks Jesus the Christ, fully God and fully human. And as a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus offers us eternal forgiveness, eternal purpose, eternal security, a a reconciled relationship with our Father who is in heaven. And along with that, Jesus offers us an identity, an eternal identity. Jesus offers all of us a new identity. God offers all of us a new identity in Jesus Christ. God offers us as individuals, and God offers us collectively a new identity in Jesus Christ. God breaks through all the noise, all the voices telling us who we are and who we should be. And says, yeah, 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 I hear all that. But you are, try it with me, show off with me, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You want to try it one more time? Show me you got it. Limber up. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Today we want to look at that last phrase of the four, you are God's special possession. What does it mean to be God's special possession? To be unique, to be treasured in God's sight. The old translations used to say peculiar in God's sight but meaning peculiar in a good way, unique, special, treasured in God's sight. Jesus tells us more about this in Luke chapter 15. This is what Ben read for us earlier. The passage begins this way, Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of people, and it's pretty rough company. Let's be honest, Jesus kept some pretty rough company. He welcomed people who needed a new day and a new hope and a fresh start. Let's be honest, Jesus still keeps some pretty rough company. He welcomes people who need a new day, a new hope, and a fresh start. And the religious leaders were not overly impressed with all this. The Bible says they began to mutter to each other. This Jesus doesn't know what he's doing. Look at these people he surrounds himself with. They're they're cheats. They're sellouts. They're sinners. Now Jesus knows what they're muttering about. That they're cheats. They're sellouts. They're sinners. And I just imagine Jesus thinking to himself, but they are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. a, A holy nation. God's special possession. The same people seen through two different sets of eyes. And so Jesus asked the religious leaders, can I tell you a story? Sure thing, they said. Who doesn't want to hear a story? Verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. 
Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. So in Jesus' story, he's asking you and me as the listeners to imagine that we are the shepherd. Our job is to take care of the sheep. Our livelihood is based on taking care of the sheep. And we have a hundred sheep. And one day we look up in the middle of the day and realize we only count 99. And then it hits us that for the last little bit we've been hearing a sound off in the distance and we hadn't paid any attention to it. But now we pay more attention to the sound. It is the noise, it is the sound of a sheep crying out. And we look at the sky and we realize that night is coming. And the sheep will not survive in the darkness. So what do you do? Do you say, well, I mean, I've got other sheep. This is not such a big deal. Jesus' point is that the sheep has a deep value to the shepherd. That is, the sheep is still the responsibility of the shepherd. And so the shepherd goes after the one lost sheep. Just like if you're a sanitation worker, you don't get to the end of the day and say, well, I picked up the recycling from most of the streets I'm responsible for. Didn't quite get to all of them, but I'm sure no one from those streets will call and complain. Certainly not in Davidson. Or if you're a cashier, you don't get to the end of the day and say, well, I counted for most of the money in my drawer. My manager doesn't need it to the dollar. Just like if you're a childcare worker, you don't get to the end of the day and say, well, I returned most of the kids to their parents today. Quitting time, five o'clock somewhere. The shepherd knows the value of the lost sheep. The shepherd knows there's no substitute for finding the lost sheep. And so the shepherd sets out to find this little sheep. And when he does, he is filled with joy. When he finds the sheep, he is filled with joy. He throws it on his shoulders and takes it back to the flock. And he tells his neighbors, he tells his friends at night, whew, I had a scare today. I lost one of my sheep. And then I found it. I found it before darkness took the sheep from me. I found it. And they raise a toast to the shepherd and the finding of the lost sheep. So now Jesus brings it around. Verse 7. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I tell you in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now some of our seminarians can tell you what this is. This is a very technical theological term of what Jesus does here. This is called a Jesus mic drop. Jesus takes this cute little story about a cute little lamb and he turns it and we realize it's not that cute after all. He, in fact, steps on the religious leader's toes a little bit and all they're muttering about sinners. He's making an important point. He's teaching us about the nature of the universe and the nature of God. Jesus says all of eternity rejoices when a sinner repents. All of eternity rejoices when one sinner, meaning someone who's walking away from God, when one sinner opens up their life to Jesus... When one sinner or one person turns away from the road of destruction and walks instead into the waiting and open arms of our Creator, the God of heaven is quick to celebrate whenever anyone comes to Him, broken and struggling and aware of our failures 
And yet through the gift of Jesus coming to receive forgiveness and purpose, eternal security and a new identity, all of eternity rejoices for the one who comes to Jesus, asking for mercy and a new identity in him. And if you were to compare, that celebration is far more joyous, far more raucous than what you will hear out of heaven for 99 people who are convinced that they don't need to repent. Who are convinced they don't need a new identity, don't need mercy, don't need to be made new. Then for 99 people who have become comfortable and confident in our own righteousness, self-righteousness, meaning I will be made right with God through my own efforts. That's self-righteousness. You will hear more celebration out of heaven for one sinner who repents than for 99 people who have become confident and comfortable in self-righteousness that honestly everybody else should be aspiring to and Jesus should, should reward. This cute little story is no longer so cute. In case you missed the point, Jesus says this in verse 8. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And y'all accuse me of repeating things. And y'all accuse me of repeating things. <laughs> Jesus essentially tells the same story again. This time, there's a woman who has ten silver coins. Now, some folks think that these coins were part of her wedding ceremony, and thus they had a sentimental value to her. It might also make sense that she is just a poor woman who only has ten silver coins. And she just lost ten percent of her money. Either way, she's presented with the same issue as the shepherd. Does she say, well, I have other coins. It's not such a big deal. No, she lights a lamp, searches the dirt floor of her house tirelessly until she finds it. Jesus keeps emphasizing the value, the irreplaceability of what has been lost. And that we almost have a knee-jerk reaction to search for things that we've lost. Right? If you have ever lost your homework, your keys something valuable to you, someone valuable to you, or something you've been put in charge of but it doesn't actually belong to you, if you've ever lost something like that, you understand these stories, these parables. You look for it, you can't stop thinking about it, and when you find it, you celebrate. In the Flake family, you do a happy dance, and you invite other people to join in. And so Jesus concludes this way by saying, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the point that Jesus is trying to make to us and to that crowd that was with him and to the self-righteous both then and now. Jesus' concern is not sheep. Jesus' concern is not coins. Jesus' concern is you. Jesus' concern is me. If you thought that man rejoiced when he found the lost sheep, if you thought the woman rejoiced when she found the lost coin, you should have heard how all of eternity rejoiced. How the very God of heaven rejoiced when he found you. 
when he found you, his lost son, his lost daughter, you are irreplaceable to him. You are invaluable to him. Jesus the Christ left the comforts of eternity to come to earth to run into this burning house to save you from it. He was willing to die in order to pull you and to pull me out of the flames. And yet he emerged from those flames victorious with our forgiveness and our purpose and our security and your new identity in hand. When we see that sort of sacrificial love, when we are overcome by that sort of sacrificial love, not that we love God, but that God loves us and gave himself for us. When we see that sort of sacrificial love, we leave behind life that we've known in order to follow Jesus. And we come not to trust ourselves so much, but to trust ourselves into God's hands. Both in life and in death, we come not so much to trust ourselves as to trust ourselves into God's hands. And when we do this, all of eternity rejoices. So follower of Jesus, I would say to you today, when you look in the mirror, realize you are looking at God's lost sheep. You're looking at God's lost coin. All of eternity rejoiced when you were found. A toast was raised to celebrate Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' victory, and that you are now safe and at home. And as we get to look at other folks who follow Jesus in the field, in our homes, in our community groups, whether on Zoom or wherever, in our Bible studies, in our mission opportunities, at the Rockathon, when, when we get together with people of other churches around the globe, around the town, around the country, you are looking at God's lost sheep. You're looking at God's lost coins. All of eternity celebrates that they've been found. And someone recovering from addiction sits beside someone recovering from self-righteousness. Somebody who survived suicide is sitting beside someone who this week got a cancer diagnosis. Someone with a PhD sits beside someone who has no college education. One was raised in the church and has learned it's okay to have questions. One was raised doubting and has learned it's okay to have faith. And here we are. All together, we've all gone astray and been found. We've all been picked up out of the dust and wiped clean and celebrated. All of eternity rejoiced when you were the sinner that repented. All of eternity rejoiced when you were the one who left the path of destruction, left your own way to follow God. Whatever brought you and me to this moment, the words of God send us forward with a new perspective, both on ourselves and others. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, His special possession that He sought out as you were crying out. He sought you out, pulled you up out of the dust, wiped you clean, celebrated you. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. So my wrap-up question for us would simply be, how do those words change how you see yourself? How do those words change how you see yourself and other Christians?
In a church like ours, we also know there are always people with us who more sympathize with that lost sheep, who are calling out, crying out. We saw something interesting. We ran after it. We didn't quite realize how far we've strayed. So we cry out. We hope somebody out there is listening. Somebody out there hears us. We're not sure that we can survive the darkness. And we know that night is coming. What I would say to you is, keep crying out. Keep crying out. Cry out for Jesus. Jesus who is the good shepherd. Jesus who knows his sheep and his sheep know him. Jesus who laid down his life for the sheep. He is seeking you out. He is seeking you out because you bring him joy. And my encouragement to you today would be to quit running, quit wandering, and in fact to surrender. To come into the open arms of Jesus and be transformed. Even if the noise of it doesn't reach your ears, you can know that for that, all of eternity rejoices. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, we all know what it's like to be that lost sheep. To have gotten ourselves in a place where we didn't quite realize how far we had strayed, how far we had drifted. But for some of us, we have cried out for you. We have learned to cry out for you. We know what it's like to see you, Jesus, coming over that hill. You've been looking for us. To see your deep and compassionate eyes, to see the joy across your face that you have found us. Lord, may we never lose the simple satisfaction of those words, I once was lost, but now am found. But Lord, for others of us, we are still that that little wandering, crying out, lost sheep. And so I pray that you would teach us to cry out for you. Even if we're not 100% sure you're listening. To cry out for you. And that Lord, we would see you come over that hill. Your deep and compassionate eyes fixed on us. That we would see the joy come across your face. And that we would realize those words can be about us too. I once was lost, but now am found. Lord, I pray this morning we would take that scary step of faith. And that we would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as Bill said earlier, let us know how to pray for you. We would love to pray for you. You can leave prayer requests here in the field as well. If and as you're able to give, you can do that at lakeforest.org slash give or here in the field as well. But we love you guys. Let's stand and worship together.